0: n-e-t-s-u-i-t-e dot com slash (laughs) w-t-f all right let's do this how are you what the fuckers what the fuck buddies what the fuck nicks what's happening my name is mark maron uh i'm an alcoholic my name is mark I'm a drug addict and alcoholic. My name is Mark David Marin. I am the son of Barry and Toby Marin of New Jersey. Who are you? Who the fuck are you? I bet you that question is being answered as each day in isolation and self-reflection churns on. Every day we wake up and we're like, here it comes again. Uh, Pow! I just shit my pants, op, a classic ad from back in the day, from back when we started, from back when op was our only sponsor. That goes back pre-podcast to Break Room Live, a show I did with Sam Cedar, a video streaming show before anyone was streaming video. We were ahead of the curve and it went nowhere. It's great to be ahead of the curve and then stop. And then the curve happens and then you can't get in. Sorry, you were ahead of the curve when you stopped, but now the curve has come full circle and no one gives a fuck about you in this particular medium. Good luck starting from the bottom again. Anyway, just coffee. Yeah, they have a, if you get the WTF blend, we get a little something on the back end, I think, still. I don't know. I don't know what's happening. It's amazing how small my life has gotten and how little I, I continue to know. By the way, Kerry Washington is on the show today. Kerry Washington, uh, she you might know her from Scandal, Django Unchained, Little Fires Everywhere, and now uh, as a producer and director, an Emmy-nominated actor and producer. And uh, so, well, I, let's, let's, can we do that? Hey, Google, are you on?
1: I'm here. What can I do for
0: you? Um, Can you tell me where Kerry Washington was born? Kerry
1: Washington was born on January 31st, 1977, and her full name is Kerry Marissa Washington. Kerry Washington was born in the Bronx.
0: Thank you. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that... like like, I, I should just interview that, right? All right, let's get in it. So I don't want to say that my special was good, and I don't even want to say that it necessarily... Was uh, in any way prophetic, but I'm happy with it. I am happy with my special End Times Fun, which you can watch on Netflix, uh, which is still very watchable. I would say the last two, Too Real and End Times Fun on Netflix, are the best work I've ever done and maybe the last work I do in that medium. So, and I'm okay with that. But I didn't anticipate this. I did not anticipate, this is coming from AccuWeather, in Northern California. Northern California was alerted to a rare tornado warning unlike any other by the National Weather Service. Wait for it. A fire tornado. A fucking fire tornado. The Reno office of the National Weather Service knew the mixture of 60-mile-per-hour winds with pyrocumulonimbus. Pyrocumulonimbus clouds from the Loyalton wildfire could produce a fire-induced tornado. The forecasters warned the conditions posed an extremely dangerous situation for firefighters. Fuck, man. My heart goes out to those guys. That is a tough job. Thank God they're doing it. Quote, the Loyalton fire to the east of Sierra Valley exploded most impressively this afternoon with a very large pyrocumulus and reports of fire tornadoes. Now, couldn't you use a, a, a better word than impressively? I mean, I understand that these weather nerds get excited, but I mean, the Loyal, it's literally the Loyalton fire to the east of the Sierra Valley exploded most impressively. How about most menacingly or most horrifyingly? Impressively? put aside the fire nerd new thing excitement when you're talking about a fucking fire tornado fire tornado add that to the list of uh hey maybe this is happening but the sky's on fire is uh, a bit from my uh my special and yeah that's all i'm gonna say Fire Tornadoes. I um, watched the Rush documentary on Netflix. Some of you know how I feel about Rush. I, I'm mostly the worst. I'm, I'm just mostly dismissive. I don't say they suck, really. I just, you know, I know they're great musicians. I know they're their own thing. Look, they were very much around when I was a kid. I've, I, you know, Some of you know that I used to work for a catering company that catered the Rush concert, and I had to go get, drive up into the, my manager's house a half hour to get Alex Weefson a fan so he would be comfortable in his dressing room while he uh, noodled around on his uh, classical guitar warming up. And I thought he was a dick, but now I watched a documentary. If I got anything out of it, it's that I, have, I had a, a, the wrong perception of, of him. Uh, as a, a, a guy who had to go do something for his boss to accommodate this guitar player, I, I just assumed that, is that how you say his name? A- Alex Leifson, Leifson, That he was kind of a dick, but he's not. That's the one thing I got out of the Rush documentary. Here's what I got out of it. Because people talk, you know, they ask me about Rush, they ask me well, when I talk to Getty, you know, Getty's a Jew, he's the son of uh, Holocaust sur- uh, survivors, he's, you know, they're, 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 they, the backstory's interesting, they're all interesting, I didn't know that Neil Peart wrote a lot of the songs, uh, you know, these concept records. They were around when I was a kid. They were popular with a certain, look, they're a great band to a certain type of person. I am not that type of person. I'm not gonna pass judgment, I'm not gonna say who those people are, but you know who you are, and the people who know you know who you are. You're Rush people, and that's okay. They're, part, they're on the spectrum. I don't mean the autistic spectrum. I mean the nerd spectrum, you know, the Dungeons and Dungeons and Dragons, uh, maybe, you know, on the outside, the pro wrestling, but they're the, you know, they somewhere fall in between Dungeons and Dragons and pro wrestling on the nerd spectrum. That's all I'm saying about Rush. I don't, I I don't need the stories. I don't, you know, I, I, I understand the honesty of the outsider and the, the journey of the heart, uh, through a uh, fairy tale story. I, I understand. Look, man. I get it. But I will say that I came away from the documentary with a a deeper respect and understanding and appreciation. And even uh, I like the guys uh, about Rush did not inspire me to revisit their music. The jury's in on that. But that's just taste. That's my own personal taste. Okay, can we leave it at that? Hey, Google, what year was Rush 2112 recorded?
1: 2,112 was recorded in February 1976. Its centerpiece is a 20-minute title track, a futuristic science fiction
2: song that takes up the entire... Okay,
0: thank you. Out. There you go. See, that's where that's where they lose me. <laughs> it's 20-minute science fiction song. All right. Carrie Washington, she's nominated for four Emmy Awards, including Outstanding Actress in a Limited Series or a Movie for Little Fires Everywhere, which uh, uh, Lynn Shelton directed a few of. Was an executive producer on She's nominated in three different categories As a producer Outstanding limited series for Little Fires Everywhere Outstanding television movie for American Son And outstanding variety special For live in front of a studio audience uh, This is me And Carrie Washington coming up
1: of all the the like whirlwind of press that we've been doing lately this is the thing my husband's most excited about just so you know really like it's the only podcast that matters for him this and maybe like fresh air oh
0: that's that's nice
1: yeah
0: (laughs) so I, i got a fan in in your husband that's nice yeah well Why don't we I mean, I wouldn't mind starting with that just so, you know, uh, you know, if I'm going to cry, we can do it, uh, you know, up front, Um, you know, with Little Fires. I mean, obviously, you you had a big role in in producing it. And, you know, I was here and with Lynn through the whole process. But what what was that process? How did how was working with Lynn Shelton and how did she get that job?
1: Oh, man, I didn't think you were going to dive right into that but I'm happy you
0: are. Yeah, because like um, what happens is if I put it off, you know, and then like if I start right. if I start crying, that's- then it, it, whenever it's going to happen, it's going to happen. But I, I agree, know, let's go straight in. Because I heard about like, you know, I know what it was like, you know, when she come home from a day at work and how exciting it was and working with you and working with uh, Reese and all the kids. I mean, I, I just heard it from her perspective and from her point of view, but I know there was something about going into it because I saw all the effort she put into putting together the pitch to get the job.
1: So we had a huge problem, right? The problem we had in making this show yeah. was we were telling a lot of different narratives. We were telling story about a lot of different kinds of people mm. thrown into a situation where they had to deal with each other. People with vastly different worldviews mm. um, and points of points of perspective, and so, who you know, finding a director—it's you know, you can you can create a writer's room that holds space for all of those perspectives, sure. but finding a director who could hold all of that vision and all of those different entry points, and um, with with like the right amount of love and also you know vision and ability to execute creatively it was really challenging. I mean, it was like, it was, and it was stressful to, to be like, how do we find that? We, we would rather it be a woman, you know, because this is such a woman centered story. How do we find that person? And Lynn literally walked into the room and solved our problem. Like she <laughs> was the answer. She just was the answer. And she came in, I have it, I keep it in my, like in my closet next to other precious objects. She, she Created this amazing lookbook for the oh,
0: yeah. show. Yeah, I know. Sorry to do that. You were it.
1: probably there as she was yeah. cutting images and pasting, and um, but she she brought this beautiful, beautiful, and it just was like you know in our in our challenge of how do you translate this brilliant novel to take something that's two dimensional and turn it into a visual medium? Yeah. Again, she presented this this book of visual imagery that was like, oh, she's on this, like she's she's already ahead of us in figuring out the how. And then she proceeded to, I will never forget it. She proceeded to walk us through all of the important characters and explain how she could relate to their life experience. And, this, and it was so generous because she was telling us stories about her childhood, about how, when she became a mother, about her marriage, about her relationship now, about like all of these different entry points for how she understood, how she knew these characters, yeah. and and what they were going through, and and so it was like she's she's it. I mean, I just I remember the relief of sitting there, and we were all crying in the meeting because we were all sharing our personal stories, and I just remember thinking like this, like we, we're we're done. Oh, Thank God we can now yeah. make this show.
0: And was like in in you putting together the character of Mia did uh did Lynn's experiences she was a photographer she was sort of uh, an artist she kind of did that new York thing for a mm-hmm. while did she did you guys talk about that?
1: yeah, absolutely there was a lot of that was in the lookbook yeah um and her her love of visual artists and how they work and and the art itself was so evident in that meeting and yet yeah, it felt like you know we all had a love for the 90s, but um, she she had a love for that New York in the 90s and that time in art, you know, that like the approach to realism and, you know, she just really, she related to all of that. And I think there was a bit of a connection between the way that Mia worked um, as a visual artist and the way that Lynn works, um, worked as a filmmaker in terms of like looking for the truth
2: yeah. and
1: looking for Real and right. and not afraid to reveal the things that society might say is unattractive. That 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 raw truth is what's most beautiful. I think that that was so much of how Lynn worked as a filmmaker. So to have Mia articulate those values as a visual artist, I think was part of an expression of Lynn.
0: Uh, yeah, I thought the I thought the the show came out great. Did you?
1: I really did. And and you know we had two other directors on the project and. But they they worked within the visual vocabulary that Lynn set up. Like she set the culture and right. vision for the show.
0: I guess that's what they did. That's what the 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 director who does the first one does, right?
1: That's right. And particularly for Lynn, because she she did the first one, she did two in the middle, and she did our finale. So yeah. she really was she set the tone for, for the show. She yeah. she was our partner, our closer. Yeah. She kept us on the mark. Um
0: it's challenging. It was a big show. A lot a to do.
1: a huge show.
0: The fire. Huge. I mean, just the fire. That was a <laughs> how are you gonna do the fire? And then there's the the whole bit the whole the whole piece of burning the um the artwork too, the big picture. That took some doing.
1: So fun. Yeah. I mean that's what I that's what one of the fun things too about working with Lynn. I, I just want to keep saying is is that um she's so in love with the process of filmmaking right right? and so like it's and that kind of thing is contagious and it's so important on a show like this where the hours are long the Mm. material is challenging you know it was a hard show to do it's period you know it's in the 90s but her like like she was so happy at video village with her headphones on and like there's you just felt like oh she's in her sweet spot um and i know she had lots of sweet spots because i know you know how much she loved life and loved being a mom and but you could see that that sitting at video village yeah um, it was like her zone
0: with her hat on
1: yes exactly so like
0: but now you like directing you know I've done it uh, a little bit and and I I don't I don't feel it takes a certain person to do it and I know that you're doing it more you know after acting for so for so long you know what is it about directing, especially directing TV, that that compels you to to, to want to do that?
1: You know, I don't. I, it's interesting. I'm not, um, and I think this is true of Lynn too, because I, I love that Lynn was a director who said no a lot. Oh yeah. Um, you know, she really only did things that spoke to her. which right. Also, is a huge compliment that she was so drawn to our show because her standards were so high. Um. And I I tr- I think there's a little bit of that belief system for me, and that I'm I'm not at this point I don't I'm not so bitten by the directing bug that I want to just like be directing all the time, be a director for high right. music, travels to different shows and works that muscle. But on shows that I really love, I'm drawn to being a part of the team that makes it happen. You know, like it's it's like watching a winning basketball team. Like if it's a show, you're like, oh, I love. To come and right, you know, especially in television, it's like you're you're not unless you're doing what Lynn did in, in directing the pilot. You're really coming in to say like, oh, there's a vision here. Sure, I love it. I'm I'm I have so much respect for it. I'd love to come in and, and help.
0: Yeah, and also you get to you get to sort of learn on the job. Yeah, you know, That's if right. it's already got a look and they got a good DP, and uh, you know, you want to kind of you know an easy birth into directing.
1: Yes. <laughs> That's right. That's right. And I have, I've been learning so much working on shows that I love. Um, And so I'll just keep doing that until I feel like I have something of my own to say as a director. Do
0: you, do you understand the sort of like uh, the line above the line or below the line or, you know, Uh where, yeah, see, I, you know, I, right, right there, I was confused and I'm still confused. (laughs) I mean, I imagine, (laughs) I think I can wrap my brain around it, but I can't, I, you know, it all seems complicated to me. Yeah. You got all that yeah, stuff. I, basic I think stuff.
1: I'm also like, as an actor, I've always been really nosy and like really right. curious about what other people are doing and how to do it. And, and a little bit with a lens toward like, how can we be as efficient as possible, but mostly a lens toward like, how can we be as successful in, you know, telling the story we're trying to tell. So I think that has made me want to have my my hands on more than just acting because i really i enjoy the team yeah. effort you no, i enjoy i enjoy that and so i, I really love working with lynn because she, like me she understood that um team morale was so important to getting it done and yeah Driving toward excellence and reaching for excellence, but also being kind and considerate of your fellow artists and artists.
0: Oh, she definitely was that. Yeah, and there was a lot of uh, people on that shoot too. There's a lot of people yeah. involved, and yep. like that was a, lot a of
1: cooks in the kitchen. Yeah,
0: and that's a big <laughs> shift because you know she's doing her little movies, and there's nobody, there's no committee there, you know, that she has to walk back to.
1: <laughs> yep i know that that was challenging also because it's not your normal committee it's like very opinionated Carrie washington and reese witherspoon and our very opinionated <laughs> partners in our companies and our very opinionated showrunner Liz yeah. Tiggler, and all of us are you know coming to it with our different perspectives about what's most important and she had what was couple, it
0: for you what what was most important
1: there were a couple things for me but i think you know The decision to make Mia and Pearl Black was a huge undertaking. Um, It couldn't be just like, it wasn't just switching a Crayola crayon, it really impacted the story that we were telling. They weren't Black in the book? No.
0: Oh, I didn't know that.
1: Um, So that, getting that right, like making sure that that adjustment impacted the narrative in the right ways was really important
0: to me. Oh, my God. How do you even have a show if they weren't black?
1: Because it's a lot about class.
0: No, I get it. But, you know, yeah. I mean, but but those characters, because they're black, inform, you know, the the sort of elements of, of race in class, you, you know, For which sure. is which are not conversations really had in this country. What You know, class is right. never had. And, and races is, you know, a difficult conversation for most people.
1: Yeah, and how they are connected is oh, yeah. like the, right. the most taboo.
0: Right. Um,
1: so getting all of that right, like honoring what Celeste had presented in the novel that was so brilliant around class and parenting and um, identity and history and secrets and family, like all of that, getting that right, but also making sure that we were honoring this adjustment around race and, um, and protecting it. And that was, that was super important to me. Wow. Um, And also, you know, similarly, like making sure that we were taking care of the BB character as well. I think in the ways that, that Mia takes care of BB in, in the novel, I think I Carrie really felt responsible for taking care of, of Lulu, but also of, of, of taking care of that storyline and making sure that we were um, telling it in the right way. Um, this is the, Oh,
0: the, um, the Asian woman, BB. Yes. Right. Yes. That, that was a, a very, you know, that your, your is you know, probably, it seems that the most, it's interesting that you have Reese doing her thing, you know, with the limitations that she's created in that character to define it. And then your, you know, your blind spots are different Um, But there's this sort of anger at the core of both of these characters. And, you know, using you using BB as this sort of this 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 way to fight. That's right. Right. And 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 then Reese failing to, you know, to to bring her kids to fight really on her behalf.
1: And her using her friend, you know, the the woman that's adopted Rosemary's character Rose Marie, yeah. using that. So it was like we were both working through these kind of um, avatars yeah. to battle each other around values and identity and, and class, you know.
0: It's very interesting that like, you know, just when you say that, like that these characters weren't black to begin with in the way that there was sort of an ease in which the children, you know, kind of connected without judgment, you know, that mm-hmm. there wasn't a lot of that. Uh, but there was so, you know, over, it wasn't unspoken among the adults, but the kids just sort of like kind of moved through that those those um, race dynamics without, you know, really paying that much attention to them.
1: And that's what kids do yeah. <laughs> until they get taught otherwise from us. Right. Um, and, you know, the, it's it's funny. We had extraordinarily talented kids. Like yeah. That cast was so, so good. But the performances we got out of them were in large part because of Lynn. I mean, she really invested because each each and every one of those actors, um even the most experienced of them, um, they they surprised themselves with the depths of work that they were able to bring forward, and it required that. The show required that it it was really intensely beautiful work that they were able to, to create. And Lynn, she built like a container for them to explore and work on character and do their actors homework.
0: Yeah. She'll get it out of you. She'll get it. Yeah. Yeah. And
1: she did. And it's not easy with kids.
0: Yeah. 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 It seemed like they really liked her. So where did you, where were you a kid? What do you come from?
1: Um, so I come from New York City. From the Bronx is where I grew
0: up. Yeah. Now, what part of the Bronx?
1: Do you know the Bronx?
0: A little. I mean, I, I used to, I lived in New York, and I know like when you there. I know there's some beautiful parts of the Bronx, and I know there's some rougher parts of the Bronx. I know <laughs> I'm there's from
1: sort of middle. I'm from the middle. Okay, I'm, I'm sort of like a. Um, I'm not from Riverdale, but I'm not from the South Bronx. I'm kind of like the Central East Bronx. Was your Um, family
0: there for years?
1: My mom grew up in the Bronx. My mom grew up in the South Bronx. um, Uh And um, her parents were immigrants. They came to this country from Jamaica through Ellis Island.
0: Do you remember your grandparents?
1: I do. I remember my grandmother on Uh my mom's side. My, My grandfather passed when my mother was a teenager.
0: Did she... Have that um, kind of presence of a of a Jamaican person.
1: My grandmother. Yeah. Yes, but she was very, um, you know, Jamaica was colonized by the Brits, and so yeah. there, there's a lot of Jamaicans who are like, like my grandmother had a picture of the Queen hanging in her apartment. Right. Like she was very, very British Jamaican. Yeah. Um, like had tea every single day. She wasn't wealthy, but she she at all by any means. She came. You know, she had show money when she came through Ellis Island to prove that she had cash, but it was money borrowed from another family member that she had to give away as soon as she got here. Um, so she but but she was culturally very British West Indian um, and very formal um, and stoic, very stoic, which my mother is as well. Oh, really? Yeah, they both have that. Like my mother's my mother is has a real elegance about her and she's a retired professor of education she's like you know very smart and um that's
0: so but stoic because like you know you're like the fucking opposite Oh, I know.
1: I joke that my mother spent her whole life (laughs) trying to figure out how to not have a feeling. And then she had this kid who was just like a walking id, like a walking (laughs) feeling. And she, it was her, it was a nightmare. But, you know, because my mom was an educator, she was like, I think a lot of this was unconscious, but she, you know, she was like, I don't know how to process these feelings. So you're gonna go and do that children's theater company thing. Oh, that's and you hilarious. Have lots of feelings at the Boys and Girls Club with the with the, with the children's theater shows and not have them at home. Um, so that was sort of you know what happened. I had I had these creative outlets where I could like be this crazy theater kid with with all of these big feelings but you I always have.
0: had that because i mean you i mean when i watch you it, it's interesting because i've seen you in many things and i and i i went and i watched um i watched american sun and i've i watched will fires and i've seen you in jang i've seen you in other movies and i've seen but it was interesting because i watched confirmation as well and mm. it's it it was interesting to see you play somebody that existed
1: <laughs> yeah
0: you know because like because mm-hmm. i when i watch you act i mean it, it's even though the characters are different you know i can see you go through many emotions in any moment you know it's yeah. the way you do it because you're that engaged yeah. emotionally but the work of playing anita you really you had it sort of like you couldn't do pull the, it in. pull it in right you couldn't do the uh the the uh the carry tricks It's
1: true. It's very (laughs) true. She's very, um, and I love her. I mean, I still talk to Anita. I just talked to her this weekend. It's great. You did a great job. Oh, thank you. I mean, she's so funny. It's one of the greatest compliments I've ever had in in my life as an artist. is When we finished that movie, she said, I didn't know I had a walk until I saw you do my walk. I guess I have a walk. I said, "You absolutely have a walk." Are you kidding me? She was like, "I didn't know until I saw you do it." And I said, "Oh my goodness, that's me." Uh, Um, So it it was fun. It was fun to play somebody so pulled in and reserved, and like she's just bubbling inside all the time, but. But the lid stays on. Yeah, you. And really, it was a really good exercise for me, particularly like in the middle of the scandal years, because Olivia Pope is so expressive and so big, and you know wields all her power. Um, and so Anita was was the opposite. How much did life. you
0: have to do with, uh, with, uh, creating that character? How much you know? How? Uh, I mean, obviously, it's your character uh, on Scandal, but did, you know, was there a lot of input in terms of of you know who that person would be to to sort of carry that show?
1: Yeah, it felt, like a, it felt like a dance, like a marriage between myself and Shonda, but never linguistically. Like, the words were always hers. Right. Um, but how I embodied them and the choices. Like, I made a—in a, fact, it was a dance between Shonda and I and, and, dare I say, Lynn Paolo, who also did costumes on Little Fire. She was our costume designer in Scandal. And the wardrobe really was such— um, a vital way of how i expressed who olivia was so lynn and i were also really um really hands-on in in creating that character but it but all the words came from shonda
0: so you went to the theater uh uh school when you were like it was it kindergarten did you start or was it oh the children's theater is what you did
1: it was just like an after school like basically after I was in there was one in the Bronx called Happy Medium that was, you know, a Bronx children's theater company where we did like Pinocchio and right. the Velveteen Rabbit. Yeah. I played a, a rabbit or a boat. And um and then there was an, another really amazing children's theater company in New York City called Tada that's been around forever. What's it called? Um and it's it's Tada, T-A-D-A. Oh, okay. And so I joined that company when I was about 12. And I also did a lot of theater and education work, um, working with like adolescent health centers, creating content. This was, you know, in the early 90s. So creating content around safer sex issues and homosexuality and drug abuse, like, you know, peer to peer education through theater. So I did I did that work for almost a decade.
0: Wait, did that start when you were in high school?
1: Yeah, it's I joined that company when I was, I think like just before my 14th birthday. It's a company called Star Theater. I think now it's called Night Star. And um and that work was really amazing because what we did was we created the show ourselves. Right. We wrote these skits that we would do in different schools and community centers and church basements. And um, but after we did the show, then we would stay in character and talk to the audience. And how we really got the information across to audiences was by engaging in conversation with them. And we'd say, well, you come up and show me how to do it. But we stayed in character. And so that was some of the most intense actor training that I got, really, because sort of like what Lynn did with these kids, it was like, do I know everything about this character? Do, do I know what my favorite breakfast is? Do I know wh- how I go to sleep, or what book I'm reading, or how I met my boyfriend, or... If his mother likes me or not, like, have I really done all of my actors homework um so that I can engage with an audience member? And when they ask me a question, I know how to respond organically.
0: Right. but And it's uh, ostensibly this is to teach kids about the topic of the show. It's an educational thing.
1: That's
2: right. And so That's like
0: right. so a lot of these kids are probably looking at you and they're learning about what you want them to learn about. But they're also probably getting off on the idea of acting as well. So you're inspiring them to uh to not only have safer sex or whatever the the agenda was but they're probably getting a kick out of the idea that you're holding on to these characters. Were you playing grown-up characters?
1: No, we were playing teenagers. So oh, okay. like for example, we do a scene we're in the scene. I'm I'm playing a sixteen year old girl, and my boyfriend really wants me to have sex, but he doesn't want to use a condom, and I'm trying to talk him into using a condom. And the the scene ends kind of open ended, right? Uh-huh. Like it's unresolved. Yeah. And then we go on to the next scene, and so then in the Q and A portion, I'm like, well, what should I do? What should I say to him? Should I like what? Well, what are my risks? You know, like you're really engaging to get ah. the information out there.
0: Have Have you met anybody in your adult life who come up to you and said, "I saw you in one of those shows"?
1: years ago not recently because it was in new york so sure. when i when i was an adult living in new york like working in a restaurant and teaching right. yoga and do teaching like all of my side hustles i used to meet people who who had seen that show
0: wait a minute you had a yoga side hustle
1: oh yeah <laughs> i had all kinds of side hustles but i did i went so after undergraduate school i actually lived in india for a while wait
0: okay wait so so you graduate high school. Did you do plays in high school?
1: I did. I did. So I did that professional theater company all through high school. Um, the educational but also,
0: theater company. Yes. Right.
1: Yeah. And then I I got an agent when I was like 13. Really? Um. I did. I still, it was one of those totally, like I stumbled into it. A friend of a friend was really good friends with a casting director. Yeah. And I read for her for something and she was like, well, you're too young for this role. But you should really have an agent and so I, I didn't know what any of this meant like i didn't know how, that i had struck gold right <laughs> by, by being exposed to this these connections but so i got an agent and i used to my mom would let me audition as long as my grades didn't drop right um and she was the opposite of a stage mom you know like my agent used to call the apartment and if my mom answered the phone and it was about an audition she would say like i am not carrie's secretary like call back and leave oh my god
0: she, your mother like, sounds if, like- if she
1: wants to go on an audition she has to manage it herself
0: she's tough man
1: um, yeah. <laughs> yeah but i yeah. did really and did, did you
0: did you do any uh film or television work
1: i did i did like an after an abc after school special uh-huh. when i was like 13 or 15 and oh, yeah? um
0: what was that character
1: it was like a, you know, it was friend of a friend. I think it was like best friend number one or okay. something like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, cheerleader character. Um, and, and I got, you know, I did a couple commercials that were really Im- impactful financially for my family. You know, we were living in the Bronx, upper working, like working class, upper working class. What's the,
0: What'd your dad do?
1: My dad was a real estate broker. Up there? Um, yeah. In the Bronx.
0: one apartments.
1: Yes, exactly. Mostly rentals.
0: Yeah, and, and you have how many yeah. siblings you got?
1: I'm an only.
0: Oh, you're one of them?
1: I am one of those <laughs> rare creatures. <laughs> but but I will say my mom was one of seven. Mm. So I have a lot of cousins and like we like in the summers, we all lived together um, in upstate New York. And so I, I was really close to my cousins. Break.
0: But like, what is the pressure of the only child? Like, because I've talked to a few only children and every time I talk to them, just uh, trying to be empathetic, I try to picture myself as an only child. And for me, for some reason, it causes a tremendous amount of anxiety uh, in in the whole idea of like, well, I'm the only one, so I better not disappoint them. But no one yeah. really validates that, or is that true?
1: That's absolutely true for me. <laughs> that was that's totally my experience. I'm I now I don't worry about it as much now right. as they're living my guest house in COVID and like they're there. You know, they are. They are. Oh, that's nice. Um, but for most of my life, there, there was the combination of like a lot of pressure, like you have to fulfill all the dreams, and also there's nobody to like distract them, you know? It's not like if you break a lamp, they're off yelling at another kid so they don't notice. Like there's yeah. so much uh, attention, which is good. I think the, the level of attention, my, you know, to have my mother's attention served me in many ways in terms of my intellect and like knowing that I matter to her. Mm. Um, and I think that's a really profound thing for a kid to know.
0: Yeah, I guess it's it's like when you're the only one, it's pretty apparent. Yeah. You know, you would be pretty apparent if you didn't and probably very yes. apparent if you do. But it's yeah. nice that you know enough that she was emotionally detached, but that did not imply that she did not care about you.
1: Yes, and I. it's also like I didn't – I don't even know that I would have said that she was emotionally detached. Like I just feel like she is um, – She's just not expressive. So, oh. like, I know she okay. has right, the feeling, right?
0: Right. Right. Yeah.
1: But it's like we were watching a movie the other night, um, and I turned to them, and I was like, "Isn't this amazing?" It's a movie that I had seen before that they hadn't. Isn't this amazing? No response. Isn't this amazing? I mean, this is classic only child. No response. Isn't this amazing? And my mom turned and said, "Like, yeah, yeah." <laughs> And back to the movie. And my husband laughed so he was like, I just got every window into your childhood that I ever needed in that moment.
0: (laughs) Took three times. Yeah. And
1: bigger and bigger each time. What movie? It was the Lion King, like the live action Lion King that they hadn't seen yet. But I was like, the lions are talking to each other. Isn't yeah, it yeah. this amazing?
0: The technology of it. <laughs> yeah. So was that one of the reasons why it seems like, I don't know if it's overachieving, but it seems like you had a very kind of eclectic uh, approach to, you know, your education and what you wanted to do. So what you do all this acting in high school and then what happens? I mean, were they were they supportive uh, or did they want you to do that? Did they think it was a life that
1: they were? My mother's worst nightmare was that I was going to pursue acting professionally. That's what Um, it sounds
0: like. Yeah.
1: Like what a nightmare because she didn't, you know, they just, they didn't want to have a starving artist for a child. You know, they didn't want those worries for me. That classic idea of like, I just don't want you to suffer. I don't want you to struggle. Yeah,
0: It's concern. Usually it's not judgment. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Um, And, um, and so I really, you know, I didn't, I applied to a bunch of conservatory schools like Carnegie Mellon and Tisch at NYU, but I I, I knew I wasn't going to go to any of those schools. I had to go somewhere where I was going to get a liberal arts degree so that when I graduated, I would have an option. Right. And I actually wound up going to GW in D.C. on an acting scholarship, which was like the best of all worlds because I didn't even have to major in acting, but I had to take a certain number of acting credits each semester and I was required to audition for every single production. Like I didn't have a choice on whether or not I wanted to do a play. I you know it was like being on the basketball team. Right. You don't get to choose what games you play. Like you're just, you're in. If the coach calls you in, you're up. Yeah. Um, and so that was really good training for me also because it was, it really taught me a lot about auditioning and sort of auditioning with detachment and what's mine is mine and, and what isn't isn't. And it was also the first time even though I had worked professionally as a kid, like, yes, it was the first time in my life that I, that I thought I am paying for my education through my talent, quote unquote, like there, maybe this is something that I should think about long-term pursuing because obviously like, people aren't willing to give me a lot of money. Like I'm paying right. attention doing this.
0: That's a good, that's a nice lesson to uh, reveal itself to you like yeah i i don't know that i would have thought that like you know like i i trick these people i wonder if i yeah. could do- <laughs>
1: bit of that like these people are going to pay for my education and all I have to do is stand up on the stage and sing right great game game on exactly. I'll do that for the rest of my life tell me where to stand I'll be I'll find my light if you're gonna give me money to do that
0: great great I'm, I'm so glad I have this talent because now I could uh, enjoy my life well that's well that's a great realization to have what 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 did you study though you studied
1: I invented a major I invented this interdisciplinary major because mm. I was really obsessed with this idea. I think because I did all that sort of arts, activism, educational theater stuff in high school. Right. And um, I was really, really fascinated with the idea of how performance impacts culture. And, and also like what we, so there were, there were a couple things. In my in my sort of life of an artist, I was really interested in how performance impacts culture, like what performance says about us as a society, how we can shift society and culture through narrative. So, you know what what performance reveals to us about culture. Like,
0: and when you say performance, what did that um, cover?
1: Well, like like when we're doing these shows in these high schools, it was so fascinating to me that that we were able to shift. Um, ideology and behavior of young people by right. being their mirror and what did it take to be their mirror we had to look like them and sound like them mm. and the music that we used in our show had to be the music that they were listening to um in their pop radio stations like just that examination of the power of being a mirror yeah. and showing people who they want to be and who they don't want to, who they can be so like all of those dynamics and then also in my personal life, I was actually going through an experience very similar to Pearl in Little Fires, in that, like, I'm in for seventh grade, I left my public school in the Bronx, and I started going to this very, very elite private high school in Manhattan, um, and sort of experiencing all the culture shock of what that meant and looked like. And I what was started the also- the primary about-
0: element of that? Well, I mean, like, what was the primary, uh element that you recognize? were you were you othered
1: yeah for sure i mean it was like it was culture shock for me to go to this school and to see how these kids lived um and um and i started to think about also kind of i think unconsciously at first but consciously as i got older the performativity of identity in everyday life, sort of that Goffman-esque idea of, you know, you perform your identity through how you dress and how you walk and the words you use and, um, and you know, the ways that you express yourself. Because the, the people that I grew up with in the Bronx, you know, I would get on the subway for 35 minutes, but they were countries apart. They were worlds unto themselves. How people... Dressed and ate and talked in the Bronx in my neighborhood, my family, my friends, versus how people talked and ate and dressed in this place that I went to school eight hours a day, it, they were universes apart. Sure. And so that also started to make me think about like, who am I? How do I hold on to myself in both spaces? Um, what parts of myself are authentic to me? What parts are performance? Like, all of that was sort of up for me. That sounds
0: like uh, that's every morning for me, really. <laughs>
1: Exactly. <laughs> 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 Me too. Sometimes. Me too.
0: And um, so, so yeah. in a sense, this this major you created was, along with your experience um acting and 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 learning that stuff, was a way to sort of answer some fundamental questions about yourself.
1: Yeah. To is- answer fundamental questions about myself, and also to explore fundamental curiosities about. What it means, like what the power of narrative is, and what was the major?
0: What was it? How? how, What was it? So it
1: was called it was called performance studies. Okay. Um, and I sort of based it on two different graduate programs. This was for my undergraduate degree, right? There was a graduate program at the time at Northwestern and a graduate program at NYU, both around performance studies. They were slightly different programs. The program at Northwestern was a little bit more like anthropology, uh-huh. sociology based. And the program at NYU was a little bit more like dramatic lit and um, and art, like fine arts based. And so I sort of combined influences from both of those programs to, to pick courses at GW in sociology and anthropology and, and theater and and psychology. Huh. And so I, I combined all of those classes together to form this major.
0: And did you find that it successfully addressed your questions and the education you wanted?
1: I think in a lot of ways it did. I mean, it definitely, um, I mean, in some ways I think it served its purpose because I finished college, right? Like it right. was, I was able to study The things that I cared about, and I left school with a liberal arts degree, so I could go and substitute teach as one of my side hustles. You know, which you can't do with a fine arts degree. Sure. Um, And it it taught how to think critically in a lot of these areas.
0: Yeah, I I ended up doing that with my college education. I wasn't sure what I wanted to do, and then you know, towards the end of it, I stayed five years undergrad. I was sort of like, you know, I looked at all my courses, and I'm like, well, what have I got? What did I do? what did I right, do here? Right. And then like, and you got like two more semesters. I'm like, well, I'm two classes away from a film crit minor. I'll do that. And then, <laughs> and then I'm like right up against a English major. Good. And you just,
1: so that's right. right. That's right.
0: <laughs> because like, if you're not looking for, um, you know, it's some sort of practical education that will lead to a job, you, you know, right. it, it's sort of an expressive thing that you're doing in a way.
1: Yeah. And I do think it has served me. Like I think about even, you know, earlier in my career, taking on a character like Della B. Robinson in Ray, Ray Charles's wife. You know, there were so many people I remember in my peer group at the time saying like, why would she stay? Like, why would that woman stay? He's cheating on her. He's doing drugs. Like she needs to get out of there. But for me, like I had the background of sociology and history and psychology to say like, Here's why she stayed. Like, sure. what are her options in 1950, whatever, to leave? She has no education. Like, what are the psychological issues she's dealing with that make her feel like she has to stay? Like, to use some
0: of those. Sure. I mean, and those, those questions are there, there are similar questions in the Anita Hill story, really, yeah. in, in terms of is- why she didn't act sooner. And then also, mm-hmm. like, you, you know, I would imagine that so much of that experience, like, I can't imagine really in hearing what you're saying. Uh, about your personal life, what, you know, actually performing American Son must have been like every day. You know, mm-hmm. to to lose an only child, to also deal with, you know, elements of, of trying to, of struggling with identity for whatever reason. And then the the elements of, of you know, private education versus public education. I mean, it sounds like all of that stuff was just uh, like uh, on fire uh, in that show. So that must have been yeah. quite... Uh, a pinnacle of some kind in terms of performing
1: yeah it really was um i mean i just left my guts out on the stage and and then on our soundstage making the film every single performance yeah just it that so ripped me apart
0: that was something that was something else man and who played that police detective
1: eugene oh man he's like a um like a classic theater actor. Like, like, like he, he's worked with August Wilson. He's worked with the greats. Eugene Lee is like a, 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 a black theater treasure. Right. Um, and so he, like when he said yes to us, yeah. I was like just so over the moon. And, he, and every night, no matter where I was in that performance, when he came on stage, I knew I could land the plane. Like, no matter how I had been able to, like, really hook into the performance or not, when he walked on that stage, I was like, we're going to land this plane and it's going to be devastating. And it's going to, like, he's going to make it happen. No,
0: I felt that. I mean, I felt because, like, the, the, the lead was good and the other cop was good and you're great. And, you know, I could see you kind of putting this stuff out there. And then, like, he comes in out of nowhere and just sort of, like the focus but it eviscerates it's, it's crazy and the way he lays it out at the end it's like oh my god but it's like it, that's the way it would have went down i mean how else is right. that going to guy and it, like because there's a way to read his his you know what he's telling the story at the end of what happened as as some something almost vindictive given the scene before but it's just matter of fact that's right that's right so before, like I know you, we're on a time budget here. So I wanted to talk about something I have never talked about with anybody, because I I I've always forget. You studied with Michael Howard. I did. I did too. You did. And no one, I I can never, I I almost always forget his name. I was there for like three or four months. Wow. But like, it's such a unique. He's such a like one of those old. He's like this. Um, he. I didn't know what, you know, where he came from or why he came from, but he seemed kind of Straussburg adjacent. Like he, he modeled himself after what was sort of some kind of classic old Jewish method trip. Yep. But like when you got out of college, like I didn't, we didn't get the trip to India. How long were you in India?
1: I was in India for um, like eight months doing what? So I studied um, in South India. I studied um, traditional Indian theater and culture. It was sort of like the real world India. It was huh. a program out of the University of Wisconsin um, at Madison. You did and
0: graduate? You were went to graduate school?
1: No, this was sort of my postgraduate oh, okay. study work. Okay. Um, and it was a bunch of scholars, you know, students who we all went and we were studying traditional Indian arts in the morning and, and in the afternoon, we wow. were all studying Malayalam, the language together. And we would have these incredible guest speakers come and lecture to us in our house. And we would go to these cultural events and trips. And we all lived in this house together. It was amazing. So I studied yoga
0: okay. and
1: um, payat, which is this traditional Indian martial art.
0: I, I'm fascinated with India and uh, I know nothing about it. It's a very mystical place to me. Just from like, I don't know, the music, the colors, the food, but I yeah. don't know anything. And it was
1: mad for me because I was like I think it was also at a point in my life where I was really like deep into a spiritual journey for myself, like really figuring out what God was for me. And, did you figure um, that out? Uh, it's a it's a daily unfolding. <laughs> it's like any relationship. It requires daily maintenance uh-huh. and then listening. Yeah, um,
0: that struggle for self and struggle for God, those are rough ones, yeah, yeah, know, yeah, yeah,
1: but they are you know, I grew up in the Bronx, there's like a liquor store on every corner, and in india there's there's a temple on every corner there's a it's like there's so much grounding in God, like interwoven, God is life yeah, um, that's so sort of I a sad
0: like- juxtaposition
2: mm-hmm.
0: so this was in between graduating from undergrad and going yeah. and starting and then you come back to New York and that's when you start studying with Michael. How, many, how long did you study so with Michael:
1: I met Michael actually halfway through college, halfway through undergrad, I did, a, I did the summer conservatory at Michael Howard Studios. Uh-huh. And that summer was the summer that I was like, you know what, I think I'm gonna try to do this acting thing. Um, Cause I spent the whole summer in a conservatory with other actors and I loved it just doing acting all day every day all day long and i was like this is it like this is i love this this is my happy place and so then i went back and finished my last two years of undergraduate school went to india and then came back and just like hit the pavement trying to get work as an actor but i would take my scene study and my other movement classes and whatever else i could get at the studio with michael with michael and also with his protege larry singer
0: it's so funny because that's such weird memories i don't i can't even really remember when it was it must have been like you know in the early 90s you know i don't know why i ended up at michael howard maybe a, a girlfriend i had was there but like i <laughs> I, I, I just liked it. it was that culture of you know almost you know acting teacher as as cult leader almost yeah. that there was this yeah people it was, surrounding it was
1: very loving him. but it was a very loving environment no it no i thought he was
0: great like, yeah. yeah yeah he felt like a, a, a i sound just person. like
1: somebody in the cult right <laughs>
0: no no <laughs> i don't know like a lot of people don't know about him but he's like he's a yeah. sweetheart of a cranky jew yeah
2: you know I, you yeah. know
0: and I, you know as a, a younger more angry jew like i can trust the 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 sort of sensitive cranky jew to guide me a bit and i there were a couple moments yeah. in that class that i that i really remember and and so that that was the journey so you were you know doing restaurant work doing scene work and then and, and that's just when you hit the pavement trying to act.
1: Yeah. I gave myself after I graduated from college, I gave myself one year. Um, I said, if I can get some sort of significant, meaningful acting job in this year, then I'll let myself continue to pursue it. And if I don't, then I got to give it up and I got to go to law school or grad school or something. And your parent, did you
0: tell your parents that Were you like, this is the deal.
1: I don't even remember whether I told them or not, but it was the deal I made with myself. I probably did, as you say. I I must have because I was always like justifying and making them comfortable with my choices.
0: So now you're up for this Emmy. You're working a lot. You've worked with great directors, and it seems like you're putting a lot of your focus into producing. Like I, I didn't get to watch um, the fight. But what what is it that you're interested in putting out in the world now? I mean, I mean, Little Fires is one thing, but as a producer, as somebody who has a little juice and a little power.
1: Yeah, I think I mean, I think Little Fires is really, you know, I'm I'm as proud of our nomination as producer as I am as an actor for Little Fires. Um, And I, I have to say on that morning, I was like unpacking my groceries and wiping down my groceries as we do in COVID to put them away. And, and my phone started blowing up and I was like, you know, celebrating and continuing to put the groceries away. And my publicist called me and she said, Lynn got nominated. And I just lost my shit. Like that was when I just was like, I had everything I had to stop. I was so grateful for her, her acknowledgement in that way because she really put her Whole heart into that show. Yeah. Um, so I guess you know I wanna I I want to tell stories that um that invite us to really see each other. You know that for me is is the thing. I feel like um, that's the power of of film and television and theater is that it it's a space where we can really we can create space to see each other and really
0: hear each other. Right. Is that like, yeah. And it should be like, it's like going back to what you wanted to learn early on about mirroring and about, you know, the, the relationship between performance, you know, and culture and, 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 and how do they feed each other? Is that like, I read that you were, you put a a discussion guide in the playbill of American son now, like, What was the impulse to do that? When you thought to do that or whoever thought to do that, what were you concerned about?
1: You know, I was, I knew how I felt when I got to the end of that show, when Mm. I got to the end of that script, that play, when I read it. And I just thought, you know, for us to put this out in the world, we have to take some responsibility in helping people process it. Like we're ripping open wounds. And I want to give people a toolbox to be able to do something with all of those feelings. Mm. Um, as I say it, I feel like, Oh, I was being my mom. Like, you know, you can have those feelings, but let's make sure you're doing it in a constructive <laughs> way. Um, and I just, I wanted to make sure like the, the opportunity to, to have people step into Kendra's life, enter, into that nightmare of a night or, or the opportunity to have people like really get to know Elena and Mia and Bibi and like that, that that shouldn't be taken lightly. Um, that, that, that's, people are in relationship with these characters and with these circumstances. Yeah, And
0: I just realized that like in, in the way that it was structured, like I didn't realize it until you just mentioned that, that the way her story is laid out and the way and just the context of of, of what's going on, it, it is designed to enable people that live completely different lives than that woman have empathy for her if they see it.
1: That's right. That's right. Yeah. That's right. And and for people who see themselves in her to feel seen and valued and that they matter. Um, and so all of that to me is really like precious work that i don't take lightly and that i i want to be responsible in how we manage you know there are some shows that rip your heart open you know you think of a show like hamilton for example ha- hamilton rips your heart out of your chest but by the end of the show there's resolve and you get to walk out feeling like at peace yeah and, there's, and
0: they're singing you know and that helps. yes
1: there's and there's that. <laughs> <laughs> But our show didn't have any singing, and it didn't have resolve. It was like, here's the nightmare. Deal with it.
0: In American Son, yeah. yeah,
1: yeah,
0: yeah, yeah, and Little Fires too. I mean, there was some resolve, yeah. but that's there's those characters go on.
1: Yeah, that's right.
0: Yeah, well, great work. You're doing great work, and congratulations on the nomination and and on both of yeah. them. And however, how many? How many are there? Three or two? Two? I have four. You have producing, acting, and acting in something three. else.
1: No, three producing and one acting.
0: Great. Good job. Yeah. I hope you win all <laughs> Thank of them. You. And I hope Lynn wins it's one.
1: So, so great to talk to you. I pray for Lynn's win. I just want that for her. Because I know she's up there celebrating with her hat on and that big laugh. And yeah, like, I know. Right. I know it'll mean so much to her.
0: I have the hat. So I, she, he, she, do. she doesn't have the hat. I've got it. <laughs>
1: she has her own version up there. She does. Oh, yeah. She's, she does. She
0: has all the clothes she wants.
1: Yeah. And it'll mean so much to young filmmakers. I feel like she was such a heroic, independent filmmaker that to have her rewarded in this way would mean so much to young filmmakers who may feel nervous about really having their own voice and their own vision. I think that's yeah. true.
0: I think it'd be great. And they set up a, a sort of a grant, you know, some people said, yeah. yeah, and uh, yeah, and her parents would love it. It would be it would be great for everybody, her son, her ex-husband, it would be, you know. The family yeah. it, it would be a sweet thing for everybody yeah um take care of yourself and, and thanks for talking
1: thank you Bye. thank you you too thanks for having me
0: okay that was me and carrie very charming very talented person great actress she does everything She's also nominated for four Emmy Awards, Actress in a Limited Series, Outstanding Television Movie, Outstanding Variety Special, and Outstanding Limited Series. Okay. Let's do some slow blues. Huh? Huh?